Chapter Eight of On the Yukon Trail by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: A Watch at the Side of the Trail. Early next morning, Curly established himself in the midst of a thick clump of young pine trees, where he could keep a constant watch on the trail and not be seen by anyone approaching. He had dragged into the clump a number of spruce boughs. On these he sat. On one side of him was his smaller radiophone receiving set, and on the other his rifle. The receiver of the radiophone was clamped over his ears, beneath his cap. This day he was to be a detective of the earth as well as of the air. The camp had been moved well back from the trail, where, without danger of being heard, Jennings could work upon the broken sled. Whether their quarry were caught in their trap this day or not, they must be prepared to travel on the morrow. As he sat there, with his eyes moving up and down the trail, he thought of the adventures his calling, as a Secret Service man of the air, had brought him. He recalled those wild hours on the tossing sea, when death appeared so near that it seemed almost to beckon. He thought of the girl, Gladys Ardmore, who had behaved so bravely on that night. He wondered what she might be doing at that moment. Then his mind carried him back to the adventure which appeared to be just before him. The man he was seeking had repeatedly broken all the laws of the air. He was subject not only to heavy fines, but also to long years of imprisonment. That he would fight and willingly commit murder to escape punishment, Hurley did not doubt. Yet here was Curly, ready and willing to attempt to stop him in his mad career. One does not do such a thing for himself, he reasoned. He does it for the good of others. Here in Alaska are thousands of lonely people who can be cheered by music, stories, and speeches broadcasted over thousands of miles. Yet a few outlaws of the air can spoil all that. It is the duty of some of us to see that they do not do it. There are matters of even greater importance. A miner lost on the tundra, snow-blind and all but hopeless, can, if he has a small radiophone set, send out a call for aid. From a large station, this message may be picked up. He may be located and his life saved. Even the great explorer, Munson, may need some such assistance. Had he known how prophetic this last thought was, and how much he was to have to do with the explorer, who was at that moment more than 2,000 miles away on a ship beset by the perpetual ice of the Arctic, he would have been startled. As it was, his mind turned to the mystery that always surrounds true adventure. He recalled the words of an old friend. Adventure, true adventure, like fame, does not come to those who seek it. It comes unbeckoned and unannounced. Oh, yes, you can blunder about and get into all kinds of scrapes, which really do not mean anything to yourself nor to anyone else, but that is not adventure. You may even succeed in getting yourself killed without experiencing an adventure. You'll know an adventure when you see it, when, with no willing of your own, but following the plain lead of duty, you feel yourself going into something as dark and mysterious as an unexplored cave. When your heart beats madly, your knees tremble and your tongue clings to the roof of your mouth, yet you go straight on because you know that duty leads you. 
then you may be sure that you are about to enter upon a genuine adventure. As Curly recalled those words, he wondered whether or not, before the day was done, he would find himself entering upon a true adventure. Would his quarry, the outlaw of the air, come down the trail? The day wore on. Noon came. He ate a frozen lunch. The sun sank lower and lower. His vigil did not relax, but he began to lose faith in his plan. Joe said he would come and tell me if he found other trails, he told himself. The outlaw can't have gone round us. Where can he be? If we've missed him, well, anyway, he can't escape us. They'll take him when he enters Valdez. And yet, as he thought it through, he was not so sure of it. The man was utterly unknown. Not one person who was in any way interested in his capture had ever seen him. Hundreds of strange men drifted in and out of the seaport city of Valdez every day. How, then, was anyone to put his hand on any one of them and say, This is the man? He was interrupted in these disconcerting reflections by a sound in his receiver. It was a whisper. The whisper. Hello? Hello, Curly, it said. Hello, are you there? Do you hear me? I have something important, dreadfully important, to say. He, the man you want, has turned back, went forty miles today. Now he is camped. So you see, you did not get him, did you, Curly? I am sorry, Curly, extremely sorry, for he goes fast, very, very fast. You cannot catch him, can you, Curly? So, good-bye. As the sound ceased, Curly leaped to his feet. His fists were clenched. Through his tight-set teeth he hissed, I can catch him. I can. I can, and I will. Hastily gathering up his equipment and his rifle, he hurried away at once to break the news to his companions. Strange to say, in all this time, it had never occurred to him to doubt the truth of the whisperer's message, nor to question her sincerity in wishing him well, or in desiring to assist him. And yet she had been playing a very artful game of hide-and-seek in the air with him for many weeks. And in all that time, except perhaps that time in the hotel window, told about in Curly Carson Listens In, he had not caught one single glimpse of her. He had heard her whisper, that was all. Can one judge a person's character by the quality of his whisper? Well, that's the question. End of chapter 8 Recording by Tom Penn